welcome to the first episode of Stuff for 2018. My name is Craig Wilson, I'm the editor of Stuff Magazine, and with me here is Toby Shapshak, the editor-in-chief and publisher. Hello, Toby. Hey, here we are at the beginning of another year, and funnily enough, we are looking at the same kind of major trends that we were peaking at the end of last year, aren't we? Well, uh, you mean sort of on the back of things like CES, we've seen a lot of the same tech stories coming up uh, again. Things like uh, crypto, security concerns. Ongoing warfare in social media between what the social networks really wanted to do and how people have found ways to manipulate them for their own devices. I mean, I think in many ways social media has been weaponized. It used to be this benign place discovered uh, by a democracy and used for the best intentions, but it's been subverted, unfortunately, by people pushing their own propaganda, be it Russian trolls, be it the alt-right. I don't know why we call them the alt-right when we could just call them fascists <laughs> and, uh, and, and other things. So it's been, it's been a thing because I suppose the major, one of the major news stories of the year is the fact that Facebook is reinventing its news feed getting rid of news news and giving people more of the personal news that it originally began. And in fact, in many ways, that's the reason I deleted the Facebook app off my phone last year. I don't want to read the news on Facebook. I read the news on, on news Twitter websites. or on news websites or, on Twitter, or, or in news apps. What I would look at Facebook for is what people are doing on Facebook. I want sure. to know what people's lives are like, what they're doing. And, and that's what Mark Zuckerberg said at the beginning of the year. Facebook's going back to that. And of course, in many ways, the damage has been done. You know, the, the Facebook manipulation of the American elections have, have in many ways damaged uh, the perception of, of social networks and, and completely changed who's in, in office. And, well, and there's also there's this fatigue, I think, for a lot of people. You know, you deleted Facebook because you don't want to get your news there. I deleted it because it's a resource hog on my phone. Yes. Uh, I spend less and less time on Twitter because it's a cess uh, pit of hatred and vitriol. Um, I mean, then there's Instagram, which for many people has become their... Uh, core sort of social network but we've got the same problems I mean obviously Instagram's Facebook owned as well but the problem there isn't so much with the trolls the problem there is with the algorithm once upon a time Instagram was a nice straightforward linear post of things that your friends shared in the order in which they shared them but of course that doesn't work for advertisers so now uh, there is some magic source to, to which none of us are privy which prioritizes and deprioritizes pictures based on whatever it is that Instagram's algorithms have been trained that week to look at. And the problem is, I think, that these things used to feel, and I'm thinking back to the early days of MySpace where everybody was friends with Tom, these used to feel like personal networks. They used yeah. to feel like things where we could actually get info. And now, of course, increasingly, we know we're the product. They just don't feel like that anymore. They feel like permanent marketing and advertising exercises, either for the people who are only posting the very best of their lives, which is totally reasonable, but who are essentially trying to, to sell themselves, or for companies who are paying advertising uh, rates so that their ads pop up in your feed. They just don't seem to be, this isn't, they, they lack that personality and that personal relevance that uh, they promised in the beginning. Absolutely, and I, I, I mean, my, my issue was more that you know, while, while we were having a child last year, I just... Not, not you and I, to be clear. Yes, yes, yes. My wife and I, and mostly my wife, was having the child. The problem was I just 
spent less and less time in, in the apps. And what, what happened was where, say, Facebook could say, so-and-so's commented on this, so-and-so's engaged with that, instead of it being useful notifications about stuff that was relevant to me, the notifications devolved into a way to alert you that the app wanted you to return. So instead of it being useful notifications for me, it became unuseful notifications for the app to force you back into the app and that's where I lost my my patience it became a a way where the app developers were biting the eyes that feed them basically and I lost (laughs) yeah yeah and I I just lost interest in and I deleted Facebook and my life has been absolutely fine I I I open it in the mobile browser I look at it on the desktop you don't get forced to download the separate equally resource having messenger app yeah I mean this this is way to do it i feel also one of the bits of advice that most often give people is turn off notifications improve your life immeasurably unless it's for absolutely essential messaging services or something that you totally rely on or your work email you know turn that stuff off but of course this is the problem too and i think there's a fascinating discussion to be had another time about you know the way these things are designed and the ethics of uh, designing things to to keep you in, you know, with these random rewards in the same way they do with gambling. Well, um, it, indeed, it's the attention economy. So I had turned off all of those notifications except the ones that were really relevant to me. Sure. And after a month of not looking at Facebook, I thought, okay, well, I don't need it. You don't really miss it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it, it's the evolving nature of social media, which now is an integral part of our lives. Facebook has... 2 billion users. I mean, the last time someone had as much control, a single person as much control over the, the civilized world as it was known was when uh, it was in the time of, of, of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago when Emperor Constantine controlled so much of his civilized world back then. In fact, The Economist last year did a, a, a cover of, of Mark Zuckerberg as if he was a Roman emperor. Um, <laughs> And it's, and it's a powerful way of understanding how much control these social networks have. I mean, in, in America, 44% of adults get their news from Facebook, and we know from the fake news phenomenon that most of that news probably isn't even true. Well, and we know, too, that the problem, this echo chamber effect is very real, right? You, you, get, you never get conflicting views. You only get the views that you already agree with, or you get the absolute absurd extreme on the opposite end that you're sort of, you know, rail against. But either way, this isn't this isn't productive, this isn't helpful. You know, really, as you say, I mean, a lot of the time, wherever possible, I guess also because of work in media, uh, you know, I like to go to the sites. I like to go directly to the source. I like to whitelist them on my ad blocker so that they get the revenue. But this is because it's a little different and we work, you know, in, in the sector. I guess what I take comfort from though is, first that Facebook can just change these algorithms. This is the bonus of being the emperor and being the only show in town, is you can just call the shot. Right? There's no one else. If Zuckerberg wants the algorithm changed tomorrow, it, it'll get changed. Um, and we've seen this too with the other uh, behemoth of the online world, and that's Google, but more specifically, uh, its subsidiary YouTube. So YouTube's just gone and made some pretty sweeping changes to its terms. So, and this follows you know, some of the questionable content that has snuck through recently, um, and some of its big name uh, stars that have gotten themselves into trouble. So one of the new terms for, for YouTube is that in order to monetize your channel, so in order to be able to put those ads at the front of your content, um, you're gonna have to have four thousand hours of overall watch time 
on your channel within the past 12 months and you're going to need at least a thousand subscribers now that used to be a hundred subscribers so that's a really big jump yeah and i guess on the one hand the pros of this is that 10x brew right 10x yeah one of the, one of the pros is going to make it a little more difficult for sort of questionable content to slip through but one of the downsides is that it's going to make it more difficult for new players and newcomers to really get a foothold on what is becoming an increasingly competitive platform you know for the people who who make most of their living off youtube it's a real uh, you know these kinds of changes help them entrench their position but but do make it a little a little tougher for for outsiders coming in a little bit closer to home I thought the most fascinating story this week was the announcement that Michael Jordan along with another former F&B executive is launching what they are calling an app based bank called Bank Zero and that we should uh, we should see it before the end of the year yeah that's fascinating because of course F&B under Michael Jordan who's quite controversially appointed CEO at the the tender age of 30 and ran the business for 10 years, has since gone off and done a bunch of other things. He started some venture capital uh, investing of his own. He's invested in a a wireless network called Rain. And he has also uh, returned to his banking roots and started something that that, that on the face of it seems fairly obvious, right? Most people are app savvy. They spend time in the apps. They know how to work with an app why shouldn't it be their bank so details are very uh, sketchy at the moment sure. we know it'll be a mutual bank I think that bit's really interesting bank. too the mutual Indeed. bank part of it no lending Yeah, right? they're not going to be doing that they're, they said there are enough lenders out there already and the mutual bank model is interesting because of course over time if they break even uh, if you're a depositor you can effectively become a become a shareholder yeah. I think that sort of vested interest is something I mean they're, they're not the only mutual bank there are I think at least three others that I know of in the South African market already but um but yeah i think it's a very interesting model and of course it's really going to come down to ease of use cost of transacting uh you know any other sort of fees and um interest rate i guess the other one they're going to push is they're going to try and offer very not just competitive uh fees and, a, and a, an unprecedentedly user-friendly interface but that they're going to they're going to try and make um, make it worthwhile to leave your money with them. Yeah, very good. So uh, let's keep an eye on that. And of course, they've attracted some very smart talent. I don't know if I'm allowed to say or not, but well, if you're of, not sure, you probably all yeah. Some to. of the some of the smartest people I've dealt with of F and B, I've seen their names involved and have, have interacted with them. So well, you know what I think is the them. baseline for paying attention is that. If after this time and the various ventures he has invested in, if Michael Jordan is willing to put his name to a banking venture, which is the first fully banking-related thing since F&B, well, then you know we better be paying attention. Indeed, indeed. So uh, in the near future, you may be uh, WhatsApping your bank manager who's a software bot. Yeah, sure, chatbot, yeah. Well, on a, on a not really related note, but I'm going to try here anyway. If you have too much money and you can't wait for Bank Zero to come around, one of the options you, you, you have is you can go to the local iStore and you can buy the brand new iMac Pro that's available in the very fetching sort of space gray uh, so that anyone who sees it on your desk will know that this is not the regular the standard uh, iMac, but the grand iMac Pro. Toby, uh, did you see the price tag attached to it? I did, and I, and, I, and I think a lot of people have been quite unfair about it. I mean, 85,000 Rand is, yes, an enormous amount of money to pay for a computer, but 
what it does and what it's designed to do and for the market that it appeals to, it's not out of out of kilter. I mean, a very high-end graphics editing machine, some of the old Avid desk would cost a lot more. So it's a chunk of change, but it's a chunk of change for a very good product that will do exactly what it's, you know, what it says on the giant do. box. Yeah, on the giant, very expensive box. But, you know, it, it's, it's the power users who really need that kind of stuff. If you're sure. running an edit suite or a recording studio, that's the kind of power people are looking for. Um, Apple, of course, have always had some high-end power machine of some kind of power Mac in the back in the old days. There was the, you know, the, the, the very controversial uh, Mac Pro, this beautiful black cylinder. <laughs> yeah, that, that uh, you know, but was you couldn't upgrade it and there were months, you know, a bunch of problems. So it's been something in their lineup for years. It's, it's, it's been a problematic machine. But for the people who need it, it's exactly what they want. Of course, it's elicited no end of, of uh, you know, comments and aggressive sure. and smirky responses. But that's also standard. I mean, that's what we get wherever Apple's concerned. They have people being excited about it and going, oh, I, you know, I wish I could afford it or, oh, I can't wait. And you get other people going, are oh, you kidding? I could build the same PC for half the money. This is the standard Apple versus non-Apple sort of war. Anyway, I'm just excited that we get these things. I mean, Indeed. the one thing, you know, when you look at particularly things like the, the now delayed HomePod speaker that's that's coming. And what excites me most about it is not Siri, because frankly, I find Google Voice Assistant infinitely superior to Siri. Uh, Alexa, of course, we can't speak for because it's not readily available locally. But that's the thing is the HomePod will work. We'll get it here. It'll land in this country almost without doubt. And because Siri already offers local support, it will work. So, you know, for all the for all the Microsoft products and the Microsoft Surface, that Surface um, Pro, the, you know, with the um, the on-screen, the dial that you can use on the display and the pen. So this is great. Yeah. But you can't get it. Yeah. You know, the only way to get it here is to import it from someone, and then it's going to cost you a hundred thousand rand anyway. And you could buy the iMac Pro. Indeed. So you know, knock Apple all you like. The one thing I like about it though is we actually see the products. Indeed, indeed, and, and Apple generally, the products always work as advertised, except if it's a battery and an iPhone six <laughs> and up. <laughs> well, Which, this, sorry, this is worth mentioning too, right? If you have, if you've, you've doubtless seen some of the news uh, about the battery problems. Uh, in, in the US and other markets well starting with Apple saying that it deliberately you know uh, altered the software I mean slowed down phones uh, older phones not uh, so that you'd upgrade but so that you'd get a consistent experience and so that they wouldn't fall over and then the follow up to that was that you could they uh, launched a uh, massively subsidized battery replacement plan which you can now do in a lot of other markets and then recently the local iStores responded and said that they are now going to be offering that yeah. Two. Now the for great about, problem. About four hundred rand. Yeah, for about four hundred rand. Now the only problems I've been hearing from people that are about it are first that there is very limited stock of the batteries because they're for older devices, so there can be quite a substantial uh, wait time, and second that that wait time. So you need to first, you know, if you if you are interested in this, 
don't go shooting off to your local eye store. You're going to have to make an appointment. Uh, I believe it's some of them, there are you know, quite substantial backlogs. You're gonna need to make an appointment and you're gonna need to find out how long it'll take for them to actually get the battery for your phone. The other challenge they're facing though is I think a lot of people are taking in devices that don't necessarily need a new battery, but because of the offer, they want one anyway. And so of course that's gonna slow down the legit- legitimate instances where the batteries have degraded to such an extent that they ought to be replaced. Everyone's a schmuckler. Everyone is indeed a schmuckler. So uh, it's worth noting though that the, the probably the standout device or the standout launch of, uh, of CES earlier this year was the, was the very clever LED uh, rollable screen from LG. Well, and so this is the end of the LG has stolen the show, uh, particularly when it comes to screens, more often than not in recent years. You yeah, know? For, for the longest time, the best TV you could get was a Sony Bravia. Yep. They, they don't get sold in South Africa anymore. And Sony, despite, I mean, they had a 30% premium, I remember, when I got my TV. Uh, but for the last three years, LG has had the winning television in the Stuff Gadget Awards. Yep. It's been quite a thing. Well, last year was the Signature W. That's the sort of wallpaper-thin one that tragically hasn't made it to the local market yet, even though there'd be very sort of few people who could pick them up. But yeah, you know, LG's been leading. Uh, it led in OLED tech. It was the first one to, to offer really, you know, really, really high-end organic uh, LED displays. Then you had the the wafer-thin ones, and now you've got the sort of rollable one that, um, if you haven't seen it, folks, I mean, this is one that, it sort of comes out of a base, a bit like, a, you know, those projection screens yeah. that roll down from the ceiling. Uh, so it's rolling up in the base. It's not the sort that, you're not just gonna roll it up and tuck it under your arm and, you know, take it off to a mate's house. Um, but, I mean, they're also just showing the, you know, what is possible with this tech. And what I'm also interested in it is to see how this trickles down to other things, you know? Will we see variations of this in computer monitors? Will some of this flexible tech make its way eventually into smartphones? You know, uh, I thought certainly thought that was one of the most uh, interesting things to come Indeed, out they, of. This they, I mean, they demonstrated their, their, their TV prowess with a canyon of screens. It looked very good. There's been a very welcome return also at CS to Panasonic, which is one of the great brands known for their televisions amongst other things um, and they had a very good showing at CES they've worked out how to how to boost up the black color in uh, in their monitors which is of course one of the key elements to giving you a really good uh, picture uh, so we, we're pleased to see that and I'm sure we'll be seeing the products in the magazine soon but uh, you know televisions have just not gone away you know we, we well yeah televisions have just gotten better and better in recent years and you know for a while there was you know HD was where it was at and then there was the suggestion well it's going to be 4k but for a long time you know I think only very recently has gotten to the point that if you're buying a TV now, you'd be a fool not to buy a 4K one. And combined with that is this HDR technology. You know, whether it's Dolby Vision or HDR10, you can really actually see a difference now. And that's certainly going to be the standard in, in coming years. And now, of course, everyone wants to add to that uh, an affordable OLED panel. You know, a lot of them are still LCD. And so we're from Panasonic, Sony, LG, even Samsung's announcements. We're seeing the cost sort of falling. And I think if you've been, you know, if you've had your old set for 10 years and you're looking to up great uh, now might be the time all of the consoles well, are supporting 4k funny you should mention it last year i got myself a new tv i've i've had my my very spectacular sony bravia for you know i hesitate to admit this seven years now and last year i got one of the new lg 
nano LED screens, mm. and it's been utterly superb. What's impressed me not just the power of the of the the, the resolution and the picture quality, but the of course the miniaturization of technology gets better and better. The panels thinner, it's lighter, mm. uh, but the smartness of the TV. It, it, it I was very pleased to see the re-emergence of what was once a long time ago Palm, the Palm Pilot operating system, right, which went right. through a few different owners including HP and is now called WebOS, uh, it's, it's really quite revolutionary. This magic remote, as LG calls it, it's, uh, it's got a dedicated button for Netflix, for Am- uh, Amazon TV, you can use Netflix, you can watch uh, YouTube if you, if you prefer it as I do, I've connected it through Ethernet so you get a much stronger uh, signal and it's quite revolutionary frankly, I mean you can, you, you can connect a keyboard to your television, in many ways it's disintermediating all of the other technologies mm-hmm. that we had to use, the set-top boxes, the you know computers plugged to the TV, I had a, a Mac Mini for years and years and years, it's still there but you can just use the TV itself, the TV itself and the TV is very smart, the remote control allows you to control it much better. I've plugged in a Logitech uh, Bluetooth keyboard with a, a USB dongle and it's fantastic. It's, it's, the, the picture quality is really crisp, really good, really sharp and it's not even an OLED screen. That's what's so impressive for me. Sure, and you've got to think what they're going to look like in a couple of years to come. Uh, we are rapidly running out of time, and I wanted to end on something a little lighter, which was the news today that uh, Nintendo has announced um, some accessories for the Nintendo Switch, which, first, I mean, let's, briefly, the Switch has sold, or it looks set to sell more units in its first year than the somewhat disastrous Nintendo Wii U sold in its entire five-year lifespan. Yes, they are that's on course. Not hard. No, that's not hard, but they are on course to sell 14 million units in the first year. Good for them. Yeah, absolutely. And and if you are uh, in an effort, I guess, to make sure that they do break those records, they announced a whole bunch of cardboard accessories. They're calling it Nintendo Labo, which makes me think that uh, someone uh, Australian on the team came up with it. But uh, you'll get like uh, everything from a house to a little sort of cardboard motorcycle to a cardboard piano. And they actually, you tuck the bits of the switch into it. You tuck the display into one part and the Joy-Cons into other parts, and then you can interact with them. You can twist the throttle on the motorcycle, play a racing game. And it's just great lateral thinking from Nintendo, isn't it? I mean, the the Wii itself was was a great example of this. They couldn't compete against the high-end graphics, the powerful chips of the the PlayStation and the Xbox, so they came out with this this casual gaming sensation. Absolutely. That was the Wii my, my parents used to play it all the time. Which we don't have a say about any other console ever, right? But our parents and our grandparents exactly. were just my as happy parents to play in the 80s were playing tennis, as it were, against yes, each other yeah. in the Wii. I mean, one of the funniest things I ever saw was my, my, my 80-something-year-old parents teaching my, my teenage nephew and niece how to use a gaming console. <laughs> and they've done it again with the Switch. They've 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 uh, they had a you know bad run with the the um, the U. It wasn't a great device. It, 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 you can see the origins of the Switch's interface and and, mm. and hardware in it. And now the Switch is great, which I, I, you know we should punt was the 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 stuff overall winner of our gadget as war, awards 
in 2017 as well as the gaming gadget winner and it's fantastic it's a really clever use of the technology and it plays to Nintendo's strengths this I think is going to open up a whole bunch of other doors because it's not just gaming now now it's educational Sure, and actually this sort of notion of building physical things in the real world that this can then this console can then interact with. Anyway, look, whether it takes off or whether they're sturdy enough for you know enthusiastic uh, youngsters or not, it doesn't matter. I just think it's such a fantastically novel idea, and it is such a, a typically sort of inventive Nintendo notion. Anyway, if you are keen on this, if you're uh, excited about it, uh, there are going to be two kits to choose from, and we've had confirmation that you'll be able to get them in South Africa on the 27th of April. So we'll be looking out for those, and we will certainly be giving them a test and uh, making ridiculous motorcycle noises around the office. You speak for yourself. Of course, any of these stories that you want to read about are on stuff.co.za or in the magazine, which you can pick up from all uh, discerning news agents. And you- probably some undiscerning ones too. Thank you very much for listening to the Stuff podcast. Speak to you next week.